0: Michael McNamara, as my mother calls me, here on a Monday, the last Monday in October. How about that? Yeah, it's like almost November. That, For some reason, that, I, that like makes me laugh. I'm not sure. It's like, what the hell? Wasn't it just September here a few days ago? Well, it seems so to me. But uh, evidently not evidently not so uh, yeah so good Monday morning to you hope you had a good weekend. I spent mine finishing up my digital conversion in my studio doing the things that I really love to do which are the easy the easy and the cosmetic things yeah. Yeah, kind of like all the routing of cables and the zip tying and all the rest of that stuff. So um, yeah. So I like doing that. Mhm. And so I did a bunch of that and uh only have one problem left to solve in this whole thing. And then I'm uh and then I'm good. Yeah. I even did other things that that hadn't occurred to me to do and so yeah. My workspace is is beautiful, <laughs> yeah, I don't mind saying that my workspace is my workspace is beautiful, so uh yeah, so I did that over the weekend, and then you know what the other thing I tried to do I tried to catch up on sleep. I have a tendency to uh run myself uh ragged. And I don't know if ragged is the right word, but um, it's a word that I would use. And um, so I really made a conscious effort to um, to sleep more, to nap. Yeah, how about that? I made an effort to nap. I made an effort uh, to stay in bed and not wake, not get out of bed when I woke up at four to, but to really try really hard to go back to sleep and whatnot. So yeah, so I did that. And then the other thing I did was I did some strategic planning. (laughs) Yep. What the hell does that even mean? I know, I know. The um well um post traumatic winning, this thing's kind of it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so I'm gonna have to um so I have to, I have to kind of get it in my head. I tend to manage all these things simultaneously, but there's some that are ongoing as solid things. There are others that are um, coming to market, if you will. Um, and then there's others on the drawing board. And so I had to kind of sit down and, and, and really think about the sequencing of all of this stuff and how it works and what, where does money come from and how does that money finance subsequent efforts and blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah, so I did that. Uh, watched uh, the baseball playoffs, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, then uh, I watched a little bit of football, but not too much football uh, because I was working most of the time. And uh, yeah, I spent the weekend mostly by myself. Colleen went up to UCLA to hang out with friends. Yeah, the person in my uh, family that's gone to see the most college football this year, my youngest daughter. Now the football that she goes to see is kind of coincidental to a party she's going on going to, but, um, went to see TCU and Baylor play in Dallas. Yeah. Visiting friends. And, uh, so I sent a text message to my sons. I said, how pathetic is this? The person in our family that's seen the most major college football this year is calling. <laughs> and my sons are like, that's bullshit. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I know it is bullshit, but I mean, it is what it is. Fellas, and so uh yeah, so Colleen was gone most of the weekend. Came home yesterday, uh, just in time to lay down and go to sleep. Yep. So, um anyway, that was my that was my weekend. Um on Saturday, uh the twenty eighth commem- commemoration of uh the day that the barracks was destroyed in Beirut happened at Camp Lejeune. Um and uh General Gray spoke there and the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Berger, was down there as well. So um so yep. Yeah. So talked about that on Friday, but that happened over the weekend and um I had uh I I had a number of people reach out to me uh, after listening to comments and and reading the story about a Marine that was killed in a uh, a blank fire training exercise, and um, you know, it's been a subject of conversation here, and because uh, nobody understands it, like how the hell does that happen? And so, um, so yeah, that uh, I, I, a number of people reach out to me. Some asking for more information. Hey Mac, what do you know that and I said, Look, I, I I've had some conversations with people, but nobody from that unit. People that have um have some awareness based on a tangential relationship with somebody. And uh I said, I don't I don't know a whole lot more. Um I had one person tell me that they that they knew somebody and that Everything had been done right and somehow or other this one Marine found ammunition and then, and I said, okay, like, okay, so then how does that ammunition wind up in a rifle pointed at somebody and kill him? Now, um, he didn't have too many more details than that which points to criminal activity. Somebody murdered somebody. At least that would explain it. But, yeah, so so I had a number of conversations about that over the weekend. And then a number of people contacted me just um, to talk about the BHR and the general trend in the Navy and inside the Department of Defense. And how dismayed they are. And then I had I had probably two or three people contact me, about uh, both written, and then one person, a friend, called me <clears throat> about the idea of you leave your cell phone in your car when you come to work. When you come to work, you come to work. You don't come to you know screw off, play video games. You know when you have a few seconds, check your email. Check your text messages yeah we don't do that that's not the way we do business when you when you come to work you're all in at work and so I you know again I, I think that's something that at some point will become part of the American military culture look if it's good enough for the teamsters, I think it's good enough for anybody who uh, needs hundred percent attention while you're uh, while you're at work. So um yeah, I thought that was interesting how much how much discussion that generated. But I, I would tell you that, um so what does that force? It forces you to have formations, it forces you to get to know them, which I think is is absolutely an essential if you wanna make strides in terms of um caring for them as human beings, you've got to see them more. And we we now have a a military that relies on cell phones for leadership and it getting what, it's getting us what it gets us which is nothing good. So I thought I thought that was interesting and the more I think about it I think the more that you know those cell phones should be left right in your car at your house and you can have your cell phone when you're done at work but while, but while you're here at work we need your undivided attention here for the 8 10 hours that you're here every day. So leave it in your car. If it's on your body, it's an NJP offense. First time you'll get a warning, second time you'll be, right, some form of administrative discipline. And again, because when you read the investigation in the Bon armorshard Shard fire, I don't even know at what point water, some kind of firefighting agent was put on the fire that was coordinated by the ship itself. Two hours after the initial fire is, is spotted, firefighters from the San Diego County Fire Department, or the San Diego Fire Department, not the county, but San Diego Fire Department, on their own initiative, put water on the fire. I didn't see, and I haven't gone through the findings of fact, and I'll look for this when I do, um, but I haven't seen when the first coordinated effort that was coordinated by the ship's damage control people and uh, the officer of the deck or anybody that, that can lay claim to being part of ship's company coordinated a some kind of firefighting effort. I, I don't even know at what point that occurred. And then the... Um, and then a friend of mine said and this is the, this is the friend that that t- told me about the the teamster thing and he said well you know what they're doing they're on their cell phones fucking off watching movies playing video games texting emailing all of that they're doing everything except what they're supposed to do which is their job standing watch and then he kind of went off and he said look man Everything you said is true. The most dangerous event on a ship is a fire. You hear that there's a possible fire. What do you do? You run down there. You don't walk. You run down there. Because you know when fires break out, there is the quick and there is the dead. And you're on watch and you're going to allow that? Not me. But nobody could be bothered? Is that what was going on? They were doing other things that were more important. That was his point. We know what we know what they were doing. They were distracted at work. So that's a pretty interesting little thing. So I think at some point you will see that. That cell phones among everybody will be uh, something that is left in your vehicle. And, you know, you want to pull it out at lunch, feel free. But otherwise, when you're here at work, you're here at work. And you know what? Probably long overdue. Probably long overdue. Uh, Grant Newsom's going to join me. Uh, again, China Much in the News. So I, I contacted Grant and said, would you mind uh, joining me this morning? And he said no. So we recorded that, and so you will hear that. But to make the program official, uh, the United States Marine Corps Band is here to do its thing. So on this Monday, the 25th day of October, Good morning to you. dedicated to uh, the families of the Marines and sailors and the soldiers that were uh, killed um, on October 23rd, 1983. Uh, They are the ones that have paid the price now for 28 years of uh, what would be something that would become part of our um, daily life, and that is terrorism as it first came to the American military in a big way. So, this is dedicated to every one of those families. God bless you. <laughs>
2: challenging conditions and odds to win you gotta win
0: check the weather right now currently it is sunny in 71 in Quantico down the coast and require station Cherry Point it is cloudy in 71 29 Palms is partly sunny in 65 so warmed up there Camp Pendleton cloudy in 60 Huge rain up in Northern California. I don't know if you watched the 49er game last night, but yeah, mudslides, all kind of stuff going on up there, uh, but not so much here in Southern California, yeah. Um, supposed to be cloudy, maybe rain today, but not like Northern California. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, let's see. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark, cloudy in 72, Okinawa, dark, cloudy 71 in Manila it is dark cloudy 80 and in Darwin on the northern coast of Australia it is dark cloudy 79 Manila looking for a high Over the course of the next four days, 89, 89, 89, 89. So there you have it. Manila. Pretty consistent. I don't know what made me look, but I was just curious. If it was 80 degrees overnight, what is the daytime temperature? And not that not that much of a change. How about that? Currently it is cloudy and sixty-two degrees. Here in the coast of Mason-Newport Beach area of Southern California. 13% chance of rain through 9 a.m. Yeah, it was like, I don't know, 70, 71 yesterday and clear. Yeah, Northern California just getting hammered. Um, looking for high of uh of 65 degrees with a 100% chance of rain today. Yeah. Um, 70 tomorrow, 79 on Wednesday, 85 on Thursday, and 78 on Friday. So, yeah, how about that? How about that? So that is a look at your weather here on a, uh, on a Monday. The last Monday in, yeah, I don't know, (laughs) again, I don't know why, but it amuses me. The last, uh, the last Monday in, uh, In October the um, I was I was um, driving I was at Home Depot yesterday what did I have to get um, I had to get some wet wipes for my kitchen I've decided that using like some kind of cleaner with a rag is one step too many that I should just buy wet wipes and wipe counters down with that stuff so yeah yeah that's and that's a change for my kitchen so I did that. I had to get a series of timers to put here in my studio. And the timers control all the lighting. So when I walk in, this in the morning, the lights are already on. I know, this is stupid. But I, I don't like turning all the lights on. And then the lights go off uh, at about 11.55 at night. So they go off at about midnight. And then they come on at about 4.15. Yeah. So, yeah, a little luxury kind of thing for me. Then um what else did I buy there? I don't know. I bought a couple other things. I need to get uh oh, I for my for my desk that I have. So my studio desk uh has three pretty big monitors on it. One has the audio um program that's recording this and uh and then the second one has all the audio that I play during the program. So, for instance, like when I say something snarkier, or this is appropriate, right? I hit this, right? I, so there's a program that has all these buttons in front of me. That, uh, and then when something crazy happens, and uh, and you know, it's like what? I play this. What was that? The record scratches, right? The buzzer. Yeah. That's the multiple buzzer. Okay. And then all the little sound effects. Today in history. Just, you know what? I don't do Today in History very often anymore. Maybe I should start doing that. I love that. I don't really know what's gonna happen after that music but I know it's something big okay that's big music okay so <laughs> yeah that's why that's why I use it so anyway there's a program that has that and then there's another program that has um, uh, news and things like that so um, so anyway I try to keep this desktop clear but you know there was clutter assembling so uh, little earbuds here the tv remote a battery that gets recharged on a nightly basis so i i have some cedar wood i think it's cedar and um some cedar planks that i used to build something else and um i took those and i cut i don't know a couple of one foot sections and then i used some brackets and i put them underneath left and right where my right hands would be so i have a little shelf there so i built that yeah, again the dorky shit that I do. So, but anyway, back to my story. So I come out of Home Depot, and I leave home. I leave Home Depot, and I, I'm. I did something yesterday I haven't done in a long time. I went to McDonald's. Not sure why. I thought it was a good idea. So I go to McDonald's, and as I'm driving from Home Depot to McDonald's, I go past this the store's called Under Five because I heard Colleen say it last night, and um. And there's this box of hula hoops sitting outside. And I, I start laughing. My ex-wife could crush the hula hoop. And she used to do it and it would be hilarious. Okay? So our kids would be having a birthday party and there would be a hula hoop there. Or we'd be someplace where a hula hoop was. And so she'd walk up being a mom, right? Could I try? And the kids are all like, sure, Mrs. Mack, you could try. You know, and then they look at our kids like John Patrick, Kathleen Collin. Oh, your mom wants to do the hula hoop. So Susan would put this, <laughs> Susan would do this, put this hula hoop on, and she would rip it, okay? And this thing is flying around her hips, so and she's got her hands over her head, and she's like, Woo! Right, and then she'll take it. She puts it around her neck, and then her arm. And these kids are like, Whoa Oh my god! It would be hilarious!" And you could see it coming right a mile away. Yeah. So I saw that yesterday. And um, yeah, then I I did some electronic stuff yesterday too. But anyway, I try to keep my desk clean, and it looks yeah, like I said, my workspace is awesome. And the sound of the of the production now. Pfft, is a lot better. So I'm, I'm, very pleased. Um, very pleased. Um, I want to make a public service announcement. Um, if, um, if you want to participate in the next post-traumatic winning seminar that's online and you should, okay. Um, I would tell you that uh i, w- I would tell you to shoot me an email mac dot post traumatic winning at gmail dot com yeah do that and then go ahead and uh and plan on spending an hour and a half every Tuesday night for the next um eight weeks. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to change your life, and then that will be a catalyst to change the lives of other people. So, um, yeah, I would tell you, you should do that. Um, or you should help other people do it. Yeah, so if you know somebody who should uh, attend, tell them not just to kind of sign up and shoot me an email, but tell them to call me. You know, tell them to call me. And... um And I think that conversation will open the door to them uh, participating and possibly changing their their lives. So this is uh, the last one that I'll do this year. And um, I think when it reappears in the spring, it'll be in a little bit different. it'll, It'll reappear after the first of the year. And it'll be probably a paid version of it. We'll see. And so I've spent this year kind of proofing the concept. And I'm pretty comfortable with it. And so uh but again, um I tell you that if uh you want to uh you want to change your life or and then and then help yourself change the lives of other people, sign up so mac dot winning at gmail.com yep, so uh, we'll check the news now, and then Grant Newsom will join us, and that'll be your Monday today. so uh, top headlines in Stars and Stripes this morning is, Ceremonies in French City Marks 100 Years of Honoring an American Unknown Soldier. On Saturday and Sunday, hundreds gathered in France for a vigil, a military parade, and other ceremonies dedicated to the unknown soldier and the many that he represents. Nice that that the French, right, um, continue to remember. And what you see is uh, in a picture is uh, people dressed up as American doughboys would. You see an honor guard of Marines, a sailor, and two soldiers. And then you see uh, people dressed in the uniform of the uh, French army of the time. And in the center, there's a casket with an American flag on it. At, uh, and the city is Chalons-en-Champagne, en Champagne, France. French and American soldier soldiers stood guard that night, never leaving the unknown soldier's side. On Saturday and Sunday, hundreds gathered for a vigil, a military parade, and other ceremonies dedicated to that soldier, and many others that he represents. So, uh, yeah, so uh, an uh, an event in France that commemorates the American sacrifice that kept our country free. Uh, Next headlines. Marine Air Station in Japan carries out annual base defense stress test. Another interesting story, Army hits record low for training deaths for a second year in a row. So Army, at, at different ends of different spectrums, they just had a 40%, 46% increase in the amount of suicide they've had. And, uh, but their training deaths are low. Um, U.S. military says it's killed an Al-Qaeda leader in a drone strike. Again, irrelevant stuff that we consistently report. Um, From the Wall Street Journal this morning. Top headline. Hertz orders 100,000 Teslas as it electrifies its fleet. The rental car company said that starting next month, customers will be able to rent a Tesla Model 3 in major U.S. markets and some cities in Europe, part of a plan to include more electrical vehicles in its offering. How about that? Here's another article. Interesting. Does Taiwan's military stand a chance against China? Few think so. I just want to see if Grant's quoted in here at all. Uh, Interviews members of the Taiwan, oh, (laughs) Grant's quoted in the Wall Street Journal. Grant Newsham is a retired U.S. Marine colonel who spent 2019 in Taiwan studying the island's defenses, said Taiwan has a solid core of well-trained troops and superb officers that are ready to fight. Other military experts compared Taiwan's top pilots and officers to the world's best. But the Taiwanese military is underfunded and its reserve system is in shambles, mister Newsham said. It needs improved pay packages and it could come far more and it could become far more effective by training with the US and its allies, he said. That's awesome. Grant, that's right. He'd become he's become a big deal now. Ever since Stars and Stripes said that he said to nuke China, he said to nuke China. Yeah, he's now a uh, he's now bona fide, as they say in Oh, brother, art Tao. He's bona fide. I'm just seeing if he's. I'm scrolling through the article um, to see if he's uh, quoted any further. Normally they'll wrap it in another quote. No, how about that, Grant Newsom? There's a um, there's more and more stuff that coming out about Facebook that I find interesting. That as as many people would have have suspected, um, but you're finding more and more whistleblowers coming out of the inside of Facebook saying they deliberately skewed what um, what they produce in order to have a political impact. On the United States of America. Um, and so there was an opinion piece written in the Wall Street Journal about it. Um, so, but I can't find it, so I'm not going to waste your time as I look for it. Uh, top story in the New York Times Ignoring sanctions, Russia renews broad cyber surveillance operations. Facebook under increased scrutiny, as it should be, as it should be. And that is a story, um, that is a huge story because when you have that much power concentrated in, uh, in the hands of that few pe peop- that few people, then I think it is in the government's interest, it's in the people's interest. It is in the public interest to make sure that what is done with institutions that have that kind of power is 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 fundamentally fair and not biased because they are protected from being sued, right? Yeah, they are. So that should come, that protection comes at a cost, right? at a cost. And so, yeah, interesting stuff. The um anyway, that's in the New York Times today. The um top story, United States Navy Institute news is Ecuadorian Navy sailing ship interdicts drug smugglers on the Pacific. How funny is that? Sailing ship like with sails on it like that. Yeah. And more and more Right, what you see is a submersible ships, and drones that ferry large amounts of drugs. Okay, so a drone ship would have engines. It would be slick, be painted gray like navy battleship gray, and um, and then there's the submersibles that are being built cheaply down now in, in South America. Uh, next story. New Marine Corps robot will provide eyes in the water for explosive device removal technicians. So we have Marines removing mines in the water. Okay. Seemed to be a relatively nuanced thing. Uh, next headline. Japan monitoring combined Russian and Chinese naval fleet sailing off Honshu. Um, Grant. And I talk about this uh, here in a few minutes, so you'll get to hear that. But, uh, you know, the, the Russians and the Chinese kind of got together to stick their finger in uh, in in Japan's eye. The article does, though, provide a map, and it gives you the track of the Russian fleet. So what they did was they sailed in close proximity uh, to the Jap- Japanese coast, um, again, message sending. Hey, you want to screw with us? We'll screw with you. Yeah. So, in top story in Marine Corps Times today is a Wyoming farewell for a Marine killed in Afghanistan. Dozens of fellow U.S. Marines joined hundreds of Wyoming residents to bid a final farewell at a memorial for Riley McCollum, one of 13 U.S. service members killed in a suicide bombing, as they guarded a gate at a chaotic Kabul airport during the final U.S. evacuation from that country. Many of the Marines were members of the 20-year-old McCollum's unit, serving in Afghanistan when he was killed on August 26. McCollum, a Marine Lance Corporal, grew up went to school and enlisted in the Marine Corps in the Mountain Valley area known as Jackson Hole, home to the town of Jackson. He was honored during Saturday's Jackson service attended by more than 400 people. We knew his potential, said Staff Sergeant Luis Diaz, who recruited McCollum into the Marine Corps. I knew he had the mindset. I knew he had the spirit to accomplish anything he wanted. McCollum was a dedicated Marine, enthusiastic and funny, said Corporal Wyatt Wilson. When something had to be done, Wilson told the Jackson gathering, I always grabbed Riley because I knew it would be done right the first time. Ten other U.S. Marines, a U.S. Army soldier, and a Navy corpsman also died in the explosion at the gate gate they guarded at Hamid Karzai International Airport. Mourners remembered McCollum as a roly-poly boy who became a dominant high school wrestler, a young man who always told people he wanted to become a U.S. Marine. He is the Marine uh, whose, whose wife was pregnant. Uh, his widow, her name is, looks like Jenna Creighton McCollum. She gave birth to a daughter, Levi Riley Rose McCollum. And uh, online fundraising efforts have raised over a million dollars for the baby's education and for the widow. And that would be in addition to almost a half a million dollars from his insurance. If you want to give, I don't think you have to try very hard, but his last name is spelled McCollum. You might want to check out GoFundMe, M-C-C-O-L-L-U-M. I say again, M-C-C-O-L-L-U-M. If you want to donate, so uh, laid to rest. Um, top five stories in Early Bird, and then uh, you'll hear Grant Newsom here. Number one cancer strikes U.S. fighter pilots cruise at a higher rate, according to the Air Force. Hmm. Why? Proximity to all that electronic stuff? I thought that was supposed to be something they were constantly monitoring and taking care of. Nearly 30% higher likelihood of testicular cancer and roughly 25% for skin and prostate cancer, according to the military's most comprehensive study yet. Hmm. We're supposed to be on that shit? Uh, Does it surprise me that we are not? No, it doesn't. 50,000 military families in 38 privatized housing communities see new ownership. Now, again, this story's been going on for what, almost three years? Or at least two years. Two companies that have been major players of military family, privatized housing, Clark Realty Capital and Lincoln Military Housing have sold their military housing properties. The Michaels organization announced September 2nd it had bought the eight military housing communities owned by Clark Realty, housing more than 15,000 Army, Navy, and Air Force troops and families. A month later, Liberty Military Housing announced it now owns all 30 privatized housing communities, home to more than 36,000 military families previously owned by Lincoln Military Housing. Lincoln sold the company to its employees, and the name change reflects the new employee-owned company. Interesting. The exit of Clark from the military housing arena is one example of the deeper work being done to improve military family housing and hold companies accountable, said Army General Edward Daly, head of U.S. Army Material Command, in an interview with Military Times. Quote, We put some very, very harsh downward pressure on Clark because they were a failing partner, General Daly said. We exposed their weaknesses, and quite frankly, I didn't think they were committed to supporting soldiers and their families, and I told him that. He also noted that Clark officials were called to Capitol Hill to testify earlier this year but did not show up. (laughs) What in the hell, man? What in the hell? I think it made them realize they were in a business they were going to continue to be held accountable to not only a short-term approach but a long-term standard. While the pressure factored into while this pressure fa- factored into the Clark-Michaels ownership transfer, it's not the entire story around the sale of the Clark port- portfolio, Daily Acknowledge. But the Army's pressure illustrates the increased effort to hold companies accountable. Yeah, you know what? Um, The other part of that story is the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Air Force asleep or ignoring complaints that went on for years. That's the other part of the story. And to now kind of thump your chest and say, yeah, you know, we're holding it to a high standard. and (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, Again we continue to see lawsuits around the country relative to military housing. So that issue is not a dead issue. And, uh, I think it continues to be frustrating for a lot of people. Um, third story, Biden said the U S would protect Taiwan, but it's not clear cut. Uh, I asked Grant about this last week in a town hall done in Baltimore. That's a CNN town hall. um, the um, a young man stood up and asked the president, you know, if he would defend Taiwan if China attacked Taiwan, and he and the president essentially said, "Yes, we have a deal in place to do that. I will do that." And then the White House later said, we, "He didn't really mean to say that. What he meant to say, there's no change in our stance, right?" So anyway, I asked Grant about that. So stay tuned, right? And again, we're talking about this ridiculous concept called strategic ambiguity, right? What the fuck does that even mean, right? That you don't want to say, you don't want to tell China that, yeah, we're going to defend a free nation of how many million people that doesn't belong to you and doesn't want to be part of you? That we, the free nations of the world, would, would do that? I mean, hello, what the fuck? Seriously. um. So yeah, the president says, "Oh yeah, I'll do that." And then um and then the White House says, "Uh yeah, he didn't really mean to say that. What he meant to say was uh no change in our policy. Uh, sorry." Uh. So uh so yeah, that going on. Um number 4 story, lawmakers alarmed by hunger in U- in US military families. I don't you know, just so you know I don't understand this. Studies have found that one in eight military families were food insecure prior to the covid nineteen pandemic, and this number is grown to now one in five, so one of five military families are food insecure. Well, let me just tell you if when you show me that um what you're going to show me is a dysfunctional family, okay? Is a dysfunctional family. And if that's where that number is, holy shit, holy shit. You have dysfunctional, that many dysfunctional families. 20% of the families are dysfunctional, which means they they get paid every month, right? Many of them have housing, and yet they can't manage their finances. Oh, Mac, that's not what that... Well, what does it mean? What does it mean? And I think that is an indicator of something else going on there, and it's normally not very good. Okay? So hunger isn't the real issue there, right? It is a symptom of the issue. The real issue is dysfunction in families, right? Young people getting married, they have no business being married, not mature enough to handle it, and then everything that goes with that. The number, though, 20%, that's pretty alarming. Yay, yay. Um, Associated Press story is the fifth story this morning. Secrecy shrouds Afghan refugees sent by the U.S. to bases in Kosovo. Human rights advocates have raised concern about the Afghans diverted to Camp Bondsteel in Kosovo over the past six weeks, citing a lack of transparency about their status and reasons for holding them back. So are these people that are security risks? What's going on at Camp Bondsville? Hmm. This is an Associated Press story by Ben Fox. The U.S. is welcoming tens of thousands of Afghan Afghans airlifted out of Kabul, but has disclosed little publicly about a small group who remain overseas, dozens who triggered potential security issues during security vetting, and have been sent to an American base in the Balkan nation of Kosovo. The human rights, human rights activists have raised concerns about Afghans diverted to Camp Bondsteel in Kosovo over the past six weeks, citing a lack of transparency about their status and the reason for holding them back. It's unclear what might become of anyone who cannot be cleared to come to the United States. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, why would we screen people? I mean, we have a border that just gushes human beings, right? And they're apprehended, processed, and released into country. So, like, wh- Why? why are we playing charades with people... Just because they're from Afghanistan, I mean seriously. Uh, Overseas headlines. Uh, I told you another drone strike. That really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, U.S. urges North Korea to stop missile missile tests and return to talks. Oh my God! That's like, where is my rim shot when I need it? Hold on, let me do this appropriately. Yeah, I mean you can't make this shit up. This is like, this is too funny. Like, did they say that with a straight face? Do they actually think we're going to do it? Okay, so stand by. All right, let me, I'll, I'll read it again. US urges North Korea to stop missile tests and return to talks. <laughs> Come on. Like, oh, okay. And if we don't, then what? Right? Uh, there still could be hundreds of Americans in Afghanistan former U.S. envoy says. Hmm. Now, the other the story um, I saw, and this is from an interview uh, with Zalmay Khalazad. He is the formerly negotiator of the American deal that led to our withdrawal in Afghanistan. Headline, there still could be hundreds of Americans in Afghanistan. Quote, "Truth of the matter is we don't know, but my judgment is there could be still be hundreds of Americans there. That shouldn't have a rim shot, but this guy, right, who negotiated that deal? I'm negotiate, negotiate a deal with the Taliban, as an American, and the Afghan government can't be a part of it. (laughs) Except that's what we did. Right? Shit. He resigned a week ago today. The precise number, however, appears to be unclear. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken... Who the whole thing in Afghanistan pained him. It was personal for him. Just in case you don't remember, I do. He, him, and his manicured fingers and all that shit. It was very personal for him. Did it, Anthony? Did it bother you? Did you lose any sleep? Did you not go to your like five hundred dollar a plate dinners because you know it bothered you so much? Really. Yeah, I don't need I don't need to do hate this early in the morning but let me just tell you that just tickled it right there under 2 cl- under 200 and likely closer to 100 according to Blinken. But CNN reported 2 days ago that close to 200 Americans are still trying to leave the country. Calzad wrote in his October 18th resignation letter that he stepped aside, that he decided to step down because quote We are entering into a new phase in our Afghanistan policy. Quote, I was asked by the former president to negotiate our withdrawal from Afghanistan and get commitments from the Taliban. Hold on. And get commitments from the Taliban. What? That has been achieved. We are out. Our longest war is over. This guy's pissing me the fuck off. Right. Khalilzad also said the Taliban told him they don't know the whereabouts of Ayman al-Zariri, the leader of al-Qaeda. Asked if he believed that, Khalilzad said, I did not. Quote, there is a lack of trust between us and them, he said. But I thought I saw quotes that said they're a trusted partner. Did I miss something on that? Did that get lost in the translation? Hmm. U.S. is nearing a formal agreement to use Pakistan's air airspace to fly out military operations in Afghanistan. Now this is the um, this is the quizzical nature of Pakistan. Pakistan allows us right um to use land bridges that run through pakistan, blah 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 and then at the same time gives sanction gives uh gives shelter to Al Qaeda, right? All the time attempting to keep Afghanistan destabilized because they need a destabilized Afghanistan or an Afghanistan under their control uh as a, as a neighbor with a hostile India as their other neighbor. So that's Pakistan. So now they're going to help us. Like So what is Pakistan? Are they our friend? Are they our enemy? Or are they both? And how can you be both my friend and my enemy? This hmm. Uh this is a big headline all over the world today. Sudan's civilian leaders arrested amid a coup report. Okay, here's another rimshot-worthy statement. The United States was deeply alarmed (coughs) by the coup reports its special envoy to the Horn of Africa, Jeffrey Jeffrey Feltman said. Yeah. Wow. So that is a a look at the news today. So Grant Newsom is going to join me. We're going to talk about some things we already discussed here. Uh, Yeah, China. And uh, so, um, without further ado, and again, if you know somebody who, who you think would benefit from, uh, from being a member or a part of uh, the um, the fifth seminar, uh, feel free. Send them uh, my name and tell, him, tell them to shoot me an email, mac.posttraumaticwinning at gmail.com. And that'll come to me. And then uh starts tomorrow night at five thirty, normally it goes for about ninety minutes. And I promise you that shit will be life changing for them. Yeah, no joke, man. Seriously. It's uh it's awesome. So uh without further ado, the one and only Grant Newsham comes to you right friggin' now. Did I just say friggin? I never say that word. Doesn't sully, my, doesn't sully my lips. Anyway, Grant Newsham here on a Monday, the last Monday of October. I'll see you on the other side of this. Joining us now is uh, Grant Newsham from places far away. So Grant, first of all, thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, and I'm a little bit curious. How was your weekend? Do you guys have seasons in, uh, in Taipei, um, you've been, you constantly tell us how hot and humid it is. So, what is, uh, what's the weather like there now? Is fall upon well, you?
1: Not really, you know, I suppose in a relative sense, but if you, you have to wait till December really uh, to get to where it's like cool, coolish. Uh, but it's just the nature of, you know, the climate, but Taiwan has got really high mountains, like 10,000 foot mountains. You know, if you go into the middle of the, the island where, you know, they get snow up there and that sort of thing. And, but down on the, uh, the flatlands, um, uh, it's just, you know, it's hot and humid. And then say so once December hits for a few months, uh, it gets cool. And some days it almost even feels cold. Like you'd put on socks, uh, Something like that, or well, everybody wears socks, but no. Um, uh, but it, it, so you might wear a sweater, uh, it gets that could get that cold, coldish, but not uh, you know, sometimes you do wish you were just uh, like Chosen Reservoir cold, you know, just <laughs> for a few minutes or so, you know, it, uh, that that would be nice.
0: Wow, all right, so we got a little bit of a, a climate update, and uh, um. What do you do on the weekends, Grant? I mean, you're a writer because you're, so that means you're kind of a, um, kind of a, are you one of those bon vivant guys? that you like, I mean, you, you whooped a little French on us last time. You constantly deride them Frenchies, then you slipped into it pretty quickly, <laughs> outed yourself. Um so, do you work Monday through Friday, or as a writer? Are you kind of an Ernest Hemingway type, or you're kind of this rogue American, kind of cruising around Taipei? Tell us yeah, about like, uh, how does your how does your work week work?
1: Well, I like do a little boxing, and then maybe some deep sea fishing, and, <laughs> and uh, flying over uh. something or other in a small plane that crashes. Uh, no, I for some reason I, I write, and you know I'm not. I'm fairly new to that game, so I didn't really start writing till about 2014 or 15 when I figured I was finally old enough and I had done enough to have a few ideas. And I also realized that like, there were plenty of people writing who um, didn't have a few ideas. Well, they had a few ideas. They weren't good ones. So I figured I had something to offer. So I'm fairly new to it. Um, but I've lately I've gotten... Uh, you know, in, sort of invitations to write from a number of different directions. So, And I'm kind of lazy. So, man, if there was anybody who can put something off, you know, if it was an Olympic sport, you know, nobody would even compete with me. Uh, so, I have a lot of things I have to write. And I always say, yeah, this weekend, I'm just going to sit down from when I wake up to whenever I collapse and I'm going to write. And I don't. But so, if I can get like one thing done in a weekend, that'd be pretty good. But I'm, uh, you know, have a, have a lot uh, to write. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, um, you know, it seems to entertain a few people. Uh, but that's a lot of what I do. <clears throat> of course, you know, when I'm not living the Hemingway lifestyle, you know, looking for a Martha Gellhorn out there somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> or... Uh, <laughs> or uh, oh, funny. Um, it, or... Um, you know, clubbing, of course, of course, of course, of course,
0: clubbing. What? Um, talk to me about. Um, I, I want to ask you about writer uh, writing as as a as a writer of source myself. Um, is there a, is there a trick to it? Do you have a trick to it um, about writing? Because uh, to me, the challenge of writing is that you write something, and then when somebody reads it, they put it down and say oh this is what you this is the main idea of that and you look at them and say that's right it is so and
1: um yeah you know it's um so give me
0: give me your <clears throat> give me your 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 tip for writers all right
1: you know write about what you know you know there's at some point you kind of have learned something about something and some people do it through just a whole lot of study And then others, um, you know, you sort of build it up through experience. You know, I don't write about, like, uh, politics in Albania, you know, because it's not my thing. You know, I generally, you know, I stick to things I know. Uh, When I get beyond that, then I make sure I'm pretty careful to do my homework. Uh, So, you know, every now and then I'll write about economic stuff, for example. And that you have to tread carefully. Um, But, you know, I you know, know enough about it, but say write about what you know, you know, what you're interested in and try to add something to the debate or to the discussion, uh, either informing people or having some perspective that, you know, that you haven't seen somewhere else. You know, you don't want to be like the, the 29th guy who said the exact same thing about the Japanese defense budget. Uh, but, you know, if you have something to add, uh, you know that's what I try to do. It's why I don't follow you I don't follow chase the headlines, but rather, you know you try to think, you know what do I have? whats what is there to say that would uh, readers would find interesting? And you know that's the thing to keep in mind. And then you know you're trying to tell a story, but you're also trying to make a point. um and you're trying to inform at the same time, and you're you don't want to be boring, um, you know if at all possible. Um, so it's good to, uh, you know, if if there's a simpler way to say something, that's the best way to say it. And, you know, it's funny how you can, you know, the pieces will often start out, you know, be up at 1,500 words. And you think every single one of these is gold. And then you have to pare it down. And you figure out that you could cut a third of that and nobody would notice. Uh, so you get pretty good at, you know, say, shortening things. So that you But you don't want to make it USA Today short. Uh, You know where you you know that that's just too short. But so you want to be able to explain things in enough detail, but keep people's interest, Um, and you want them to finish it and think, yeah, well, I didn't know that. That was helpful, and to remember something, the basic thing. And you know, if you write like for the general reader, like I do, it's people who are interested in foreign affairs in Asia, but don't live and breathe it. You know, that's you know, it's a certain type of writing. But you also want to write. So that the specialist reader might read it and and um, say, well, either that was interesting or or not find anything objectionable. Um, and the when I started writing, I got some advice from an, an editor, uh, a friend who, back at the the old Christian Science Monitor, when it used to be a really good newspaper. Yeah, it used to. Um, yeah, it's gone woke, um, unfortunately, but it used to be one of the very best. Uh, And and what she told me was, she says, you know, if you're going to write these op-eds, write like you're writing for your mother and be constructive. And I've always tried to follow that, that by writing for your mother, it means that you're, you know, she isn't going to know much about, you know, Japanese amphibious capabilities or why they matter. So you have to explain it in a way that your mother might have understood, you know, might have understood it and found it, you know, of interest and the constructive part I, I liked as well, because it's easy to say that everybody's, you know, screwed up and idiots and don't know what they're talking about. You know, that's easy. But okay, you know, but then so what? You know, what are you going to do about it? So it's those two things you try to combine. And, you know, so just, you know, write about what you know, be simple, you know, have a point, have some message that you're trying to get through. Uh, and, you know, for the kind of writing that I do. If I was a straight reporter, I would just provide the facts and, both sides and let the reader decide. But for the stuff I write, the op-ed sort of things, you're trying to um, push a position and, and as I said, and be simple uh, and concise and and also be constructive at it all. Uh, But also another thing that uh, I found important is I've thought for many years that I didn't, uh, you know, people who wrote and got published, I thought they must really be smart. And I wasn't as smart as them. Uh, that they had this extra thing, and then I gradually figured out that very few of them um, are that. You know, most of them are, you know, are not. You know, you know, they don't have anything better to say than I do in most cases. You know, in my area where I know stuff, that I have something to add, uh, and then, but uh, so that's you say there's a. It helps to get over that idea that everyone knows more than you do, um, like when you hear somebody has a PhD. Well, if their PhD is in something like the Treaty of Westphalia and some minor part of that, what does that qualify them to, how does that qualify them to comment, say, on the war in Iraq? Um, not any more than it does for most people and a lot less for any, goodness, Marine staff sergeant. Um, so, so there's a, you know, one, don't be intimidated by other people who write. But, you know, like anything, you um, know what you're doing and Make it show in what you write, and uh, and there, it's a lot easier these days to get things out there. You know, back in the days of hard copy, like hard newspapers and magazines, there was only say that there was only like maybe twenty places you could get a, an op ed published, and now there's probably two hundred. So it's, it's gotten much easier, as I say, to get things out there, uh, and that's I think uh, in some ways I think it is a good thing, um, but it. You do find that there's so much being written uh, that if you try to read it all, you'll you get swamped. And, and also that you do have to, you know, you know getting attention is, you know, uh, you know, can take a little effort. But if you write good stuff, you know, you'll find that some people uh, will appreciate it. And, you know, so I do it more or less for fun, uh, though I, you know, you know, I do like to get paid now and then. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, always
0: a positive. You know,
1: yeah, you know that helps. You know, if you if you so if you figured it out by hour, you know it, uh, it's not a whole lot. Um, but every once in a while, you get some good good thing that comes, and and also every once in a while, I get asked to do something long, like ten thousand words or something like that, uh, as opposed to a thousand. And the long ones, in some ways, they're good because you can go into more detail, uh, and in other ways, they're harder because you. Um, you know, you, you have to sort of construct a bigger argument, tell a bigger story. But the real bane of my existence are footnotes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I mean, goodness gracious. It, uh, you know, when it's, there, there are programs that you can use to, um, uh, you know, to type them in or plug them in. And it automatically formats them, which is good. And once I actually learned how to do that for about three days once, and it was really helpful. But the the footnote thing is, you know, I understand the, the usefulness of it, but there's, it can be overdone and some publications overdo it. And if you read, you read these things and it's like every single sentence has a footnote and you wonder, does the writer even know anything about the subject in their own right? You know, and you know, if, for example, if I've been, you know, doing Asia stuff for 40 years, you know, you'd like to think that I've got a few ideas that I didn't get, you know, three minutes ago when I read something in somebody else's whatever. And so you have to get that balance right. Because I say footnotes can be can be good. But for me, it's, um you know, I hear the word and it's you know, it's like hearing, well, there's man, there's Frenchies down in the down in the driveway, you know, it kind of you know it, no I'm joking about that but it's right. uh, they're not my thing um, but now and then I'll get people to help me out with it or I'll just sort of figure it out myself and Well put you some know in. I
0: I um I went through the first part of my life and I never even read a footnote and then I've discovered it was all in the footnotes and it mm-hmm. <laughs> reading footnotes changed my life um that's where you find uh for every one article you read you get five more if you go through the footnotes that that you ought to read and so it is a uh it's part of it do you have a uh a bible in terms of um uh reference uh, to writing how did you learn how to, how to how to write specifically <laughs>
1: Uh, probably ninth grade uh, English. Really? Where the yeah the the teacher was really good, and she you know they she broke it down into what an essay is is, and I think particularly helpful for conjunctions or transitions, transitions, conjunctions, those words you use at like to start a sentence, right? Like however, therefore, etc. Right. You know to right, make right, it right. flow. Right. And I you know so if I remember something like forty five, you know, fell fifty years later. Um, you know, she probably taught pretty well. Uh, But so I learned there and I had a a good teacher at college the first time I went and he was good. And um, but Strunk in White, I think that's what it was called that, you know, that on writing or whatever their little booklet is. I think that remains, I think the best thing out there. You know, there's, of course, uh, pretenders to have outdone them, but they have basically, you know, got it down. It's you know, they, their directions. And it's really is keep thing, you know, keep it simple and know what you're writing about and, you know, put yourself in the reader's position. And, you know, one thing I've noticed in Asia and Japan in particular is that in school, they don't teach people to write essays the way we do. And I used to like uh, edit or rewrite these speeches and essays that a really prominent Japanese fellow would would write, and like he was like friends of the emperor and really the elite class of people. And I always wished that he would just tell me what his subject was and let me write them, because it was like you know, it was like if you um, well you know like when a dog eats too much and he just sort of <laughs> lets it out on the floor. That's kind of how it is, you know, with these r- very intelligent and well-educated people. They just throw out ideas, pieceme- you know, pell-mell or haphazardly. And the idea is that somehow the reader is supposed to figure out what it means. But it's, uh, let's say I've noticed that in both Japan and uh, other places, that they, if you don't learn to read it, write an essay, you don't learn to logically order your thoughts and you know, to make an argument or to present something. And it, it's a very useful skill um, to have. Uh, you know, you you'll hear people say often, "Well, I I know what I what I want to and I know what I want to say, but I can't write it out." Well, you know, no. If you if you can't think clearly, you cannot write clearly, and you know that that is a, a truism. But but I also I will say that I find it you know writing does not come easy uh, to me. That it's really it's it's hard for me to sort of get the ideas organized and polished into shape and if you know if you saw in the first draft of what i would normally write um, it looks a lot different than what the final draft uh, looks like and i also find that if you sleep overnight on something um, before doing the final that that's always very helpful that's one interesting just what springs to life uh and and if you can get a if you can get other people to actually read your work and um you know ideally, they actually rewrite it for you. that helps too um, but the, you know a good editor will or a a good editor, but somebody who can take another look at it, see things from a different perspective and some and catch things and even say things clearly. it sometimes helps um sort of break up that mental log jam that's keeping something from being written down uh sort of sensibly
0: all right let's talk about uh talk about China. Uh, of all things. Um, let's talk about last week and the the dichotomy of hypersonic tests that um, either were revealed or announced. Um, on one hand, you have the Chinese, if you believe what's written, uh, launching um, launching orbitable missiles that then launched a hypersonic missile that missed the target by 25 miles, which is pretty close when you're talking about nuclear weapons. Um, uh, And then the United States conducted, I believe, three different tests. Two were successful. One was not. But echoing in my head when I read that, right, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: was your, your statement talking about North Korea and their testing program and that, that was this. It doesn't, whether they're successful or unsuccessful, what you need to understand is they are yet another step closer to being successful. And so um, so call it a setback if you would, right? They did take another step, though. Um, the dichotomy, though, between the United States and what it announced and what China announced last week. Your, your thoughts?
1: Um, th- this... Wasn't good, Uh, you know, what the Chinese have, you know, put into um, sort of put into orbit uh, that, you know, it's um, I can't quite think of the analogy, but it, um, you know, suppose you've got a bad guy who's got artillery, you know, then it's he's going to shoot it at you and he can, you know, the the round comes pretty much straight at you on a trajectory or on some arc, usually. Uh, And Suppose that he could launch it and suppose it sort of um, flew, say, way off to the right and then it swung back around and it sort of hit you from behind. Uh, it's, that's kind of what this weapon can do, uh, is that it can go up into the you know, outer space and, or wherever. And at, at the time of their choosing, it can come down on you from any direction. Uh, and I think we can see the problems um, with that. So uh, we, um, you know, we don't have the, you know, as I've been told, I, you know, actually asked some guys who know this stuff, uh, you know, how how bad it was, and you know, we don't have the architecture to detect a launch, track a launch, or defeat a launch, or a missile in any phase. Um, that's kind of the problem there. You know, you know, we're not equipped to, you know, to, um, you know, we say all of our radar is looking in a certain direction uh, and all our anti-ballistic missile systems are pointed a certain direction, say, towards North Korea, over towards China, or up north. And suppose you shoot it, you know, they suppose they shoot at us from the South Pole or from the South. Uh, you can see the, the difficulty with that. You know, we don't have... Uh, um, something to counter it, you know, so, but we, you know, I think if with some effort we could have our own capabilities to do the same thing to the bad, to them. Uh, but a, a defensive system on this, you know, to defend against this would be, apparently it's uh, be a very, very difficult and we don't have the capability. And, you know, one fella described, he, he noted that by actually shooting this thing, Uh, off the, and it it is a weapon. It's not what the Chinese, of course, were lying when they said it was just a spaceship and so that they could uh, help people get from like Beijing to London really quick eventually. You know, not quite that, but they were basically lying. Um, But it's, uh, this is a declaration of China's intent to violate the 1967 United Nations Outer Space Treaty. And a fellow that I talked to, he described this as a massive tragedy for humanity, but it's also spilled milk. You know, it's, you know, this is who we're dealing with. And this was obvious twenty, twenty-five years ago. Uh, but there's just further evidence that these people are out to hurt us. Um, you know, of course, the U.S. intelligence appears to have been caught flat-footed for the umpteenth time. I think the big shock, I think, to the system would have been if they had actually known that it was coming. Uh, so we're pretty used to the, you know, the intelligence community um, not exactly performing. Uh, so that's sort of how it it looks to me. It, it's yeah, uh, you know, and like all these things, it's not the end of the game, and you know, we'll figure out some uh, counter to it, or else our own capabilities to uh, say be able to do to them what they do to us. But it, it does escalate, uh, sort of te- not just tensions, but it escalates the. Uh, what would you call it? The 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 arming for war and getting ready to use the stuff, uh, and that's not you know you know it is you know it's uh, the idea that war that remember after the end of the Cold War that we we're never going to have a war again again or against anyone who wasn't wearing a turban or a loincloth. Right. Uh, well, they got that wrong. Uh, is my my way of looking at it.
0: Um. How about the the public relations effect of of um of the of that test. Right? And there's a narrative out there that's saying, you know, that China continues to ratchet up, the pressure that it began with the Biden administration, uh at their at their from their first meeting. On on the back side of Afghanistan, they've continued that pressure. Um, do you see China as as being anything other than opportunistic uh, here um, in the aftermath of of America's failure in Afghanistan?
1: Not really you know they you know I think they I don't think they would have tried this with a Trump administration. I think they would with any previous administration, but they're on their own sort of playbook they've got their sort of that, that list of plays they're going to call and it does call for getting dominance and absolute control of uh every sort of every what you call them domain you know like outer space the moon etc you know they want to dominate that as well and if you can get systems in place up there that the your enemy doesn't have a counter for well i think that you can see the uh, intimidation factor or uh, for this and that's what what i think they've you know, they've got that in mind. They're looking for under the oceans and in the, the air, cyber, electronic and outer space and in the nuclear business as well. And, you know, this, you know, this is, you know, their sort of their game, game plan for uh, getting dominance you know, over everybody. And this is part of it. But I do think, you know, as we've talked about before, that uh, there's nobody in the Biden administration that frightens them. And, um, other than perhaps like president Biden sort of, um, not, you know, maybe not being in his right mind and somehow getting his hand on the nuclear button. Um, but there's nobody who you say, who worries them. Uh, and all the talk about, you know, the, all the, the good talk, you know, the talk you hear from the administration, it just doesn't convince these, the Chinese that there's anything to worry about. And there's, I was, was interviewed, um, by a TV thing down in Singapore last week about North Korea, and I used the expression that the, the North Koreans appear to be unconstrained. You know, if you look at everything they're doing, and by that I meant they don't seem to be worried about what anyone is going to do to them, either the South Koreans or or the Americans or the Chinese, and the Chinese appear to be unconstrained um, in much of what they're doing. So, and and I think this missile launch. Uh, which actually took place a while back back in August, wasn't it, uh, that and usually China crows about everything they do in outer space. This they didn't announce uh, until just the other day. Uh, so that tells you, you know, what it was really was. But, but they say they're acting, say, in a more unconstrained fashion than, than I can recall. Uh, but at the same time, they're, kind of provoking a lot. You're seeing even the Europeans kind of saying they're concerned. Um, You've got the French politicians going to Taiwan. Uh, I think the Taiwanese defense minister is going to Slovakia and Lithuania or something. You've got um, sort of more people who are a little cross with the Chinese than I can recall in recent times either. So it's, it's not entirely like they've got nothing to worry about. Um, but by and large, I don't think this administration uh, frightens them uh, really one bit. You know, unfortunately, and I think they think if they keep pushing, uh, keep intimidating, and then one day call America's bluff over whatever—over Taiwan, over sort of the Japanese Senkaku Islands, or um, you know what have you—that the I'm not I'm not sure at that point what the Americans will do. And you know, I would say it maybe a 50-50 sort of on the the response, either a serious response or think of reasons why there's nothing that can be done. Uh, So I think that if you look at it in that context, the um, Chinese do smell weakness.
0: Um, Speaking of uh, Russia and China, uh, they they put a little event together where they, what, sailed uh, through... um, between the the two major northernmost islands of china what uh Mm
1: -hmm.
0: tell me and and that body of water is not very wide uh but it is quote-unquote international water although this has never been done before so could you explain to everybody what they did and talk to me i I imagine their message sending as we continue to sail near taiwan um, the Chinese and the Russians got together and put their own little event together. So, explain to everybody what happened and talk to us about the significance of it.
1: Yeah, the the Russian and Chinese Navy they put together a small flotilla or whatever you call call those. I forget the number. If it was either six or twelve, I'm I'm either right. I'm I have a fifty percent chance of being right on that. But it was a fair number of ships. It wasn't like two or three. Uh, and these were mostly surfeit, mostly combatants, and they sailed them through that narrow strait uh, up on, uh, in northern Japan. And, you know, this would be, you know, if you think for, say, Southern California out to Catalina, this is a whole lot narrower than that. And they sent it through, and this was entirely messaging. And, you know, you, you know how we, we think, and then they went out into the sort of to the east and they did some... Uh, sort of joint training of the kind navies do and
0: and it's called the sugaru strait right and so it separates japan's main island from the island of hokkaido which is their mm-hmm. their northern their northernmost island yes
1: yes that's right hey. it's um you know this isn't like going up beyond hokkaido to where you know the northern the, the russian territories are this is going sort of you know splitting japan <laughs> and, um, but, you know, they didn't, as I say, they didn't just do that for fun, uh, that there's very much a, a message to be sent. And the, you know, although at the same time, you know, it's a sort of in it by itself, it's, you know, of kind of like the Chinese sailing a ship through the Aleutians, like they've done before, recent, fairly recently, that by itself, it's not that big a deal, but as a, a sign of contempt uh, for the... For the the Japanese, of course, but for the Americans as well, uh, it you know it has some some significance there. And you only show contempt to people you're not afraid of, uh, and or that you think you can get to to back down. And so the the possibility that we do need to consider is that the it's not just Taiwan that is being isolated, uh, but also Japan uh, is in the crosshairs. But Isolating Japan is a different thing than isolating Taiwan. Uh, but th- this is, once again, they the Chinese are not uh, holding back. They're unconstrained. And the Russians are glad to go along with it. In fact, I think the Russians would be delighted if the Americans and the Chinese and the Japanese got into a shoot-up. And the Russians would sit back with you know these big crocodile tears uh, coming out. So I don't think they would mind that. But you're also seeing... In the commentariat, and some of the Western commentators who are once again claiming that the reason why China is acting like this is because America is threatening them, America is supporting Taiwan, supporting Japan. They're saying mean things about uh, Chinese concentration camps, and they're tr- trying to get Taiwan into the UN and international organizations. And thus, it's the Americans who are sort of, you know, creating this, the war clouds in Asia. And, you know, you have people who were Obama-era officials saying this sort of thing, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, you know, that's always been the case. It was when Stalin was running Russia, you had it. The idea was, well, the reason why the Russians act the way they do is because they're afraid of the Americans. And if the Americans will placate those fears, will sort of accommodate the Russians, they will not be afraid, and then they will be better behaved. And you're hearing that same line from uh, you know, I would say people who should know better, but no, nah, they, uh, you know, they, they I don't even think they should know better because I don't think they're that clever. Uh, you know, I think they're being about as bright as they can. Uh, but you—that's you're hearing some of those statements as well. That everything China does is our fault. Um, you know, they're—you know, China's. You—we talked about their. Um, really going all out on their nuclear arsenal, which turns out it was, of course, much bigger than all the experts said it could possibly be. And they plan to double it or to match ours by 2025, if not super, uh, supersede it. And uh, But that, of course, is America's fault, you know, somehow. And, you know, this blame America line has been it's been going on since uh, so long, long before I was born. So it's really nothing new, but it's still out there.
0: Uh, Another story that got a lot of traction this week, and that is uh, the president appeared uh, on a town hall meeting uh, hosted by CNN um, and was asked a question about defending Taiwan, right? And so the question essentially said, would the United States come to Taiwan's defense if it was attacked by China? The president replied, yes, we have a commitment to do that. And then the White House afterwards said, um, that there's been no change to America's policy towards Taiwan and that it appeared that the president had misspoke. Um, talk about that a little bit. That that caused a bit of a kerfuffle last week.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, it you know, and who knows, you know, what's what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I think Biden, he, he probably said something he wasn't supposed to say. And that's why, which is, he does seem to do, do that, every once in a while lately. Um, but, and that's why they had to, uh, they use the word walk it back. You know, it's like after the guy, he's the president for crying out loud. And it's like afterwards, everybody says, well, no, this is what he really meant. Uh, can you imagine if, say, you were the boss and after you said something, your staff was running around telling people what you had really said? No, no, uh, I,
0: I, I would struggle with that.
1: Oh, well, I, <laughs> Yeah, struggle with it, huh? And um, here's what but, Gen-
0: here's what General Mattis really meant to say.
1: Could you imagine? <laughs> no. You know, and say the S three goes out. You know, eh, ignore that guy behind. <laughs> ignore that little fella with baggy eyes. You know, huh? <laughs> you, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that it. it um, you know, or take your pick of which which general. Um, it, it's that tells you that some, The fact that something's really wrong. But Biden, President Biden did say he said the right thing, actually. And I think it was actually, you know, in its own way, it, you know, it probably wasn't a bad thing uh, that he sort of just said what sort of sort of came up came into his head uh, that it does sort of get a, it raises some doubt in, you know, to the Chinese that um, that maybe the Americans really will fight. And while the statement was walked back, and I think it was with these people trying to say what the leader of the free world really meant to say, uh, that waters it down, but it does sort of keep that uh, element of wonder and uh, in one might say worry uh, out there for the Chinese. Uh, but say it, it got watered down, but I so. You know, as I, say, I think he said something he wasn't supposed to say, but the basic idea, I think, is probably not too far off. I think the the American, what, I don't know what you ought to call it, that sort of slice of our ruling class that decides when to go to war, not to go to war uh, in the administration, that I think the idea, the thinking is, yes, we will do something to support Taiwan. We have to. But. Uh, And I think that I think that's generally widely, widely believed. But but given the confusion over the president's clear statement that it you can see the other side, you can see the Chinese thinking, wow, these guys really are confused. Let's roll the dice and see, Uh, you know, because there must be some people who are have to have their doubts or have second thoughts if they are watering down this fairly clear statement, well, real clear statement by the president. Uh, So if you look at how the other side looks at it, they just might see this, you know, the S3 saying what General Mattis really meant as a sign that all is not well, and that if they push with everything and a direct threat or quietly delivered or however, that China will use nuclear weapons if the Americans... Step in to aid Taiwan. That you just might find the confusion is such on the U.S. side that they don't do anything, uh, and that's always, that's a troubling thing too. Uh, to see,
0: I want to ask you about a um, an article that appeared that in Reuters last week, and um, um, actually it just appeared yesterday, but uh, it's an analysis piece. And let's talk about South Korea. South Korea's Moon pushes for South Korean military independence may echo far beyond his presidency. So I'll just read you a little bit, a little bit of the uh, uh, when South Korea's President Moon Jae-in arrived this week in South Korea's largest weapons expo ever in the back seat of a fighter jet. He didn't present the image of a leader bent on making peace with North Korea. And then, so the article goes on that says, but that's exactly what he's intent on doing. Um, uh, your thoughts, you talked about um, about what a lefty Mr. Uh, Mr. Moon is. Uh, is that becoming more and more apparent to people in the region? Or is he still seemingly flying under the radar um, as a pacifist and believer in, in in things that things will work out and you can do business with North Korea?
1: Some of each, uh, I think that he, you know, make, you know, make a mistake. He and his sort of this, his hardcore uh, friend or associates, these people are pro North Korea, pro China. And, you know, they're being very vocal about this, that they think sanctions ought to be released, ought to be, uh, Sort of removed against North Korea, uh, that the Americans ought to declare an end of the war and sign a peace treaty with North Korea, uh, just to uh, you know sort of jumpstart the peace process. Uh, and they've disparaged the United Nations command uh, and the U.S. presence of U.S. forces is not necessary. It's uh, you know colonialist occupying forces. Uh, so you look at what that administration is saying, and you can't just dismiss. Uh, These just things you would not hear from an ally, but you would hear it's almost as if Pyongyang is doing a ventriloquist thing. Uh, But at the same time, you know, Moon does, uh, you know, he's not talking about disarming South Korea, uh, I think. And so I think he does want to build up Korea's military, partly because he doesn't have the military under control. Uh, he tried, but, I, you know, he, um, a re- he brought charges against a four star general early in his regime, his administration. And these were obviously trumped up charges. It was um, things like, you know, abuse of power. These was really if you looked at the charges, it was ridiculous. The man was found not guilty, but he was sending a message to the military leaders that, you know, I've, um, I'm the boss and uh, sort of bring them to heel. And I don't think he succeeded as much as he wanted to. So by uh, supporting a bigger sort of, uh, sort of more money and uh, things for the South Korean military, I think that diffuses a potential sort of source of opposition to him. Uh, but at the same time, he, he I think he does want you know a South Korean military to be powerful enough and. I don't know the exact reason, but one can speculate, and this has always been out there, is that if somehow the South Korean military sort of got good enough, and and there was unification with North Korea, that the South Korean, that sort of new unified South and North Korea with all their stuff, including nuclear weapons, would sort of pivot to the East towards Japan uh, and settle old scores. Uh, and that fear has been around on the Japanese side for as long as I can remember, and I've even heard it from the South Korean side. And I know others who have heard it as well in unguarded moments, and also from Korean conservatives. Uh, so it's it's part of the equation. But I think that that Moon does want to it uh, you know have South Korea with enough of a military to be able to uh, hold its own. You know, and within his administration, you're going to find people who see things different you know, things differently and and Moon himself sees things slightly differently or somewhat differently than uh, some of his associates. I mean, the ones who were the, you know, the head of the, you know, the anti-US, anti-colonialist um, sort of people's movement when they were in college and have never disavowed this, you know, and have written these screeds about, you know, you know, bringing freedom with the blood of the, pro- you know, the, you know, the, the, the landlords, et cetera. I mean, really scary stuff. Um, that you know th- there's people who are even worse than moon in the the administration when it comes to that so I think he when he sits in that fighter jet there's a couple things that he's he's got in mind uh, there so he's you know you've got this like any administration you got this combination of ideas and at the end of the day I think the this administration is a leftist one I think it really taps into it doesn't have to tap into it um is sort of already thinks this way Uh This very anti, this very thick, dough slice of anti-Americanism within uh, South Korean society, and you know I think that is its true colors. Um, But at the same time, you'll see some people who see that differently than the real extremists. And why? One of the interesting sort of figure, sort of um, data points, is that every now and then they'll they'll do a survey in South Korea. And it will the question will be, do you support the US alliance? And there'll be like 80% say yes. And that, you know, that has to include a lot of people who vote for Moon. Uh, so you have at the same time, you've got a, at least a few different things going on. So how you reconcile that is obviously uh, a challenge. Uh, I think the best way is you hope that a conservative wins the next election. Uh, if they don't, then it's going to get very interesting. But the, the Japanese, as I said, they won't say it publicly, but they—that is their concern—that a unified Korea is going to pivot ninety degrees. It's going to pivot to the uh, to the east.
0: Yeah. If you asked me years ago, um, before I started paying more attention to the region, um, in what sequence? were those land masses, I would have told you uh, that Korea would be um, would not be where it is. It would be further west. Yeah, so when you bust out a map and start looking at it, it there's often shocks associated with it. What? Wait a minute. How did that get there? Like, oh, mm-hmm. you mean it's always been there?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of you know if you don't look at the map, you get these screwy ideas of where things are, and I find I have to look at look at the map every once in a while because right? you know, I tend to look at South Korea much farther north, not just a fairly short distance from the southernmost Japanese island. Uh, so when you look at where things are, one, it one explains a lot, but it also it's easy to forget um, you know exactly where things are well so, i would have
0: I would have told you that the Korean Peninsula is years ago. I would have told you the Korean Peninsula is um, east of Japan, and that Japan, because it sits so close to the <laughs> coast of China, you know is is certainly inside of of the Korean Peninsula. But once you bust out a map and uh you you're like, "Whoa, when did that happen? who knew um so maps are good. Maps are good. I have a I have an economics question for you. It's kind of interesting um story again to go back to China. Um, what um there's a story about um Chairman Xi having to kind of back away from a tax that he had announced that that would be levied up upon the Chinese people. And I I, I chuckled when I read it because <laughs> I, I thought, wow, even in communist countries they don't like being taxed? Who knew? Um, did you see that article? And uh, if you did, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Was that the one about the property tax? Yes, yes. He was thinking of imposing? Um, yeah. yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was interesting. Uh, the Yeah, but it you know when you, it's a communist system, so uh, you know it's a can be a little tricky to um, levy a property tax if the state owns owns all the land, which they do. Uh, you know I guess you could you can sort of tax people on say their house, but not the underlying property. But people also in that system they got used to until fairly recent times to having the state provide their house, you know, provide their jobs, provide everything. And it's, so what exactly are they going to tax when the state provides everything? So, and, you know, Chinese people are just as prone to getting angry as anybody. And I think that was, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, for them to suddenly say, oh, you're going to have to pay us this extra money uh, that, Chinese people, they didn't respond well. And, you know, it's often pointed out that China's internal security budget is actually bigger than its announced defense budget. And when you have a big internal security budget, it means you're afraid of something. And that is what the Chinese regime is afraid of, is its own people. You know, ultimately, if it wasn't, it would have might have an election. Uh, so that's... The regime does have to consider sort of public thinking um, to some extent, but when you're willing to shoot a whole bunch of people, uh, that does give you uh, some flexibility if you're that kind of regime. <laughs> uh, but it, but that that That's was hilarious. what's going on because they're trying to, uh, you know, with, with have a property tax system as a, you because know, it's a little more. It's a little the the alternative, as I recall, is that since let's say you're a local government and you, you can't get money from, you know, property taxes. So what they do is they sell off land and they sell it, sell it off to some, you know, guy with money. And there's incredible corruption in this, uh, in these deals. And at some point you kind of run out of land to sell. Uh, well, you, Unless, well, of course, in that system, what you can do is you can seize it from the guy who thought he had the, the lease on it and sell it again. And but that's not, you know, you know, it isn't ideal even for those kind of regimes. So what he's trying to do is to get a sort of a more regular way, a more regularized uh, way and sort of long, what do you call it, um, sustainable way of fleecing the public, sort of the way it works in the United, you know, in, in America. It's you know, so. It's, I guess they're westernizing in a certain way.
0: Wow. Well, all right. What do you? Uh, what's the next thing you're writing?
1: Uh, I'm writing about the Chinese Marine Corps. Um, oh. Yeah. They. Uh, my. What I'm writing about is the. Um, you know, we always talk about them in the context of a an, an attack on Taiwan. You know, and the idea is that the Ty- the Taiwan Marine Corps is going to be the you know the first wave, but in actual fact, the the Taiwan Army has at least fifty thousand uh, amphibious trained troops, and it's got a lot more than that. With a little bit who've been so had some exposure, you know, to it like they've done a Basco Lex or something. Um, but the, and the Taiwan Marine Corps is only about say twenty five to thirty five thousand people, not all of them. Uh, trained up to speed, and what I'm getting across is that the the real resante etra, you know, I, oh, goodness, you just drive him. you just
0: screwed think, that French up, uh, and yeah, I know you did well, it on purpose, so we won't think you are the yeah. French. do hey, I, I fell out the truck, but not this morning, okay, Grant. Well, Don't not, play I'm that not, game okay. with me.
1: raison etra. Well, I'm not going to Quebec anytime soon, um, where I'll be clapped in irons. Exactly. But the um, you the reason why they've got the Taiwan Marines, the, the purpose for them, actually is to use them overseas. You know, in all these places where uh, you have, China has overseas interests, you know, businesses, people, um, that that's what you're going to use them for is to protect those things. Uh, and they're going to, of course, going to use that infrastructure of port and airfield access that they've got all over the world as places to deploy them or use them to get where they need to be. And it's very much like the Americans have got going with the Marines and the Muse and, and beyond that, you know, our air force and Navy and every once in a while, the army can actually um, you know, get out and about too. the Chinese have a similar arrangement that is uh, in the works and any, and they've, you know, have obviously got that base in Djibouti now. With a marine battalion out there with some armored vehicle, armored fighting vehicles, and that's what I'm writing about is how, uh, in time, the Chinese Marine Corps is going to be um, uh, the, you know, sort of the the like the U.S. Marines uh, in furtherance of uh, China's national interests, and that we'd better get used to it. You know, I've said for a while that. You know, any one of these days, you're going to see a Chinese mu arg making the rounds in the Indo-Pacific, uh, and you know they could, if they wanted to, now they could put together at least two in very short order and send them around. And you know, if you're not going to fight, but you just want to go around, sort of um, relieving yourself on the fire hydrant, uh, that you don't have to have mastered, you know, all of the with the you know the, the skills you have to have for a proper mu arg, but you just got to be able to get out and about and go do some presence operations and training with the locals, etc. And the Chinese are perfectly capable of that.
0: Yeah, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of power projection. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's already started, um, and you know they, they they could all the Chinese could already take any small island in. Uh, the first island chain if they wanted or make a lodgment on land just about anywhere um, if they wanted to they're already good enough with that but with the muarg thing i remember mentioning this at marfor pack it must have been 6 years ago and you know i was laughed out of the room of course um, you know these you know these chinese will never be our equals and this uh, so this has not been helpful to consider them that way. But that's what I'm, uh, the next thing that I'm going to write about, you know, and it should be about as easy to write as it is to just explain it, but, but it's not, you know, it's, um, for some reason, it just takes me longer than it should to put these things together.
0: Writing is so cumbersome, you know, if you could only have the dexterity and the word count that you can in, you know, in 20 minutes of speaking, you know, then it would all be good, yes.
1: No, it's well. It's more like having a mind that is jumbled up. You know, <laughs> if you can think clearly, you can write clearly. You oh, know, really? like if you sometimes when you write, um, you know, something about which you're really resentful, it just flows out. <laughs> but when you're you're trying to write, um, you know, I don't know what do you call it? You know, to, to be sophisticated. Uh, you know, when you're trying to write clear or this sort of stuff. It's a little harder than than it seems, but it shouldn't be. But um because it because it is not a complicated matter and uh but i'll get it done but it's um but you know i might need a footnote or two that's probably the bigger biggest stumbling block
0: the footnotes it's all in the footnotes on that note grant um again thank you for doing this um china seems to be more and more in the news so uh i hope you don't mind that i bug you more often now and uh and uh I think it's appropriate as you know these stories seem to get bigger and they become more frequent um, as uh, as China on as each week goes by challenges the United States uh, in more places and pushes the United States harder and uh, you've been talking about this uh, since uh, you first came on this program, and we're seeing it more and more, so it's uh, it's wonderful that you come on and we continue to talk about these things. so thank you very much.
1: Sure, anytime. I think that being on All-Marine Radio is my raison d'etre. <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh, okay. Smooth <laughs> as a baby's ass. Everybody heard that too. The, uh, <laughs> don't let him fool you with his... Uh, you know, the president was in Baltimore when, he's, when he made that comment about, yes, I would really? defend Taiwan. Yeah.
1: I'll be darned. Well, so up you know. at, well, it's probably somebody from Baltimore who like whispered it to him. It's uh, good for them. So I I'm, I'm, apologize for everything I have said about Baltimore in the past. There, I won't say it again. Okay.
0: There you go. All right, until he says it again. All right, so Grant, have a great week. Thank you very much. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks a lot. You bet.
0: That is the one and only Grant Newsham here on a Monday edition of Ball Marine Radio. Yeah, that'll do it here on a uh, on a Monday. Thanks for listening. Grant, always a, uh, always an enjoyable guest to have on. He, um, yeah, he's fun to talk to. He's funny. You know, I enjoy his sarcastic wit. <clears throat> and then the, you know, the things that, He he tells you that are dismissed out of hand, that are, in fact, true. But probably the thing, as I say often, that I've learned the most about since beginning All-Marine Radio is uh, the world of the Pacific Pacific Rim. And now he's being quoted in the Wall Street Journal today. So congratulations to Grant, who's who's done, uh, you know, who's, I think, pursuing what he loves. And... uh, becoming a louder and louder voice and ultimately he will become the voice in my opinion because the things he says are true simply a question of will um the proletariat become informed or will the um will the elites that grant ridicule so much will they continue to be able to sell their narrative of this China just being another benign country it's you know it's really no threat to anybody and um, yeah. yeah so no but he always fun to have on so yeah I'm toying with bringing him on every week I, I enjoy his, uh, his commentary so much and and makes my life easy as uh, as the owner operator of all marine radio so anyway Uh, On this Monday, just a reminder, if you know somebody who might benefit from going to the post-traumatic winning seminar, tell them to send me an email, and uh, the next one starts tomorrow evening, and I would love to have somebody that you know who might want to be a part of it. So, with that said, I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Have a great Monday. I will see you tomorrow. So, I'm out.